0: I'm an ordinary guy and I figured out what extra stuff I need to do to have extraordinary results. And that means that everybody else can do those same things. I'm not Shaq. I'm not Zuckerberg or Elon Musk where I'm like Mensa smart. I'm a five foot nine guy who got the NFL missed on. But what I do understand is I understand scale and business and entrepreneurship. And there's a huge group of people who are trying to do that. So because I have a track record of being able to start companies in many different sectors,
1: I think I can help them. doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Dierdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down and making friends with Jeff Fenster. Jeff, what's up, dude? Hey, what's up, man? Thank you for Welcome having to me. to the show. First ever recording in Unevolve Studios here in sunny San Diego. Actually, it's not sunny right now, but in mostly sunny San Diego. Yes. Dude, thanks for letting me come hijack your studio for a day and bring you on the show.
0: Well, thanks for having me, and thank you for being the inaugural show in the studio. You helped us pioneer this thing, and Do it's been an exciting day.
1: You know, so uh, it's been an exciting day, yeah. Yes. Long day, but an exciting day. (laughs) You know, I do what I can, man. I do what I can. Okay, so on the show, there's a couple of things that I want to dive into specifically. But before we do that, let's rewind the clock, go back in time. And I usually go this route a lot because I find that when you were, you know, when, when you take these kind of eclectic career paths, you don't really go back in time and find that you're filling this out on like you know, your college application or you're talking to your career counselor about how you want to start a franchise business and be in construction and do all the stuff that you're doing now. So let's, let's pinpoint a, a you know, point in time and say 10 year old Jeff Fenster set the scene. Tell me about your, you know, where you were in the world geographically, what your parents were like, what you're up to 10 years old,
0: 10 years old. It's a long time ago. Yeah. So I grew up in San Diego. So I was in San Diego. Yeah played a lot of sports. So when I was 10, I was playing competitive soccer and baseball and being a rug rat, you know, pre-internet days, pre really on-demand TV, so spent yep. most of the days outside and pre video games. Uh we had we had Nintendo. Which one? Nintendo original, the SN the NES and we I think by 10 we might even had Super Nintendo or it just was coming oh, okay. out. I was a huge Nintendo fan. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, the Super Mario Brothers. Super
0: Mario Brothers and then actually Sega Joe Montana Sports Talk Football was like uh, my yeah. that one and RBI baseball were on my Siga, two favorite the games. The
1: Genesis. The Genesis. Yeah. I remember this game, Ready to Rumble. Did you ever play that game? No. It's like a fighting, it's like a Mortal Kombat type I played game. Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. But either way, you were doing a lot of that. You were outdoors most of the time, playing sports, doing stuff like that.
0: Yeah, it was pretty much get home from school, play outside till the you know, the start the streetlights came on, mom yelled at us, get inside, and then it was video games till bed. Siblings? One sister, two years older. We were oil and water, just completely different. Yeah, she Absolutely was a valedictorian different. of the high school, smartest person in the room. Valedictorian of the high school, yes. How big of a
1: high school are we talking? Three thousand. Oh wow, like,
0: big school. Wow. Yeah, three. You know, she was the the brainiac. Not as many. She's not as big of a social side to her. Much okay. more academic. And okay. I was the opposite.
1: Hmm. What did that mean for
0: her versus you in terms of career path? In the end, or at yeah. the time? Yeah. In the end, yeah. I mean, she. Yeah, she's a judge. A judge. Yeah, she's a judge. She went to law school. Was a lawyer, became a judge, and, you know, she was always judgy, so it makes sense. So you're the slacker. I was, the, I was more of the slacker, yes. I was more of the slacker. I also went to law school, fun fact. So yeah. regardless of our two-side uh, approaches to the world,
1: we—why we, why did you both end up in law school?
0: Jewish parents. Hmm. You know, my dad was a doctor, my mom was a teacher, and Jewish parents or Jewish mothers have a, have a rule. You could be anything you want, as long as it's a doctor, lawyer, or accountant. So yeah. pick <laughs> anything um, you want. In any, this yeah, world. you could pick, as long as it's one of those three. But it must be one of these three. So yeah. I, I went to law school. Actually, to be a sports agent. But when I was ten, I only wanted to be an athlete. Sure.
1: Yeah. I had the vision, the dream. At, did you? Did you feel like you had a shot at some point of doing something professionally, or were you always just kind of like, I wish I could just do this better?
0: <laughs> Both. Yeah. I thought because I had confidence and I was really fast, but I was really small. Hmm. I was always short always little so professional athletics it limits a, your options now it just limits your options but it limits the perspective of others so yeah, a yeah. lot of people say if i would have been found hmm. and i i don't even get that story because i played high school football with kellen winslow so <laughs> <laughs> all of the college scouts came to watch us play and i didn't get found <laughs> yeah so you're being literally and figuratively overshadowed yes <laughs> i i didn't get found <laughs> their loss
1: That's a good way to look at it. Yes. So in high school, then, when you say that you know your mom said that you got to be one of these three things, was this an actual conversation that happened, or was it? It was. It was literally just like you can pick one of these three, but it has to be one of these three. Well, you got to go back to the
0: nineties, right? So back then, entrepreneurship, that whole concept, wasn't a concept.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't. It was absolutely not glorified at all. And and the word like it was business owners
0: Mm -hmm. and employees, and business owners usually had a you know, a a family business to go into or a specific trade or skill that they had mastered. And so they started their own. Like
1: they were a plumber for 20 years and then they decided to branch out and do their own thing. Correct.
0: Or, you know, the family has an art gallery and you take over the art gallery. Right. So for me and my sister, it was just, you're going to go to school, you're going to get a college degree, you're going to go to graduate school, and you're going to have a career. And traditionally, those are kind of what's kind of forced down in our culture. Mm -hmm. And it's just... I it kind of goes back. I mean, I've talked about this to some friends, you know, especially who have Jewish mothers. It's the same thing. And I think it kind of goes back towards World War II, why that is such a thing these days, because when you make a lot of money, you have options. And back in the early 1900s, most people came from Europe that were Jewish, that made it out of Europe, survived. And unfortunately, a lot of them didn't. So there was this whole thing about, hey, you know, if you don't have money, you can't leave in case you need to, you don't have those opportunities. And so there's a huge financial element kind of pushed down on us from young age. So it was really like I was skating by, you know, getting by by the, you know, skating by the skin of my teeth. Yeah. My sister was killing it. And so there was a lot of fear in my house of what, what is Jeffrey going to do when he's grown up? Mm. And me saying professional athlete was never something that anyone but me believed.
1: <laughs> they weren't subscribing to that one. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no. You know, my, my grandfather was a professional boxer oh, and really? yeah. And he had three grandda- or three daughters. I was his oldest grandson. So when I became of age and I became 18, he was like, you're going to box. So I boxed in college. And so I also had this other vision. I, oh, I'll be a boxer like him. And truth is I'm 5'9 with short arms. So it's not really the ideal fit for that sport either. Mm-hmm. I got punched a lot. <laughs> and let me fun fact, I wasn't the best at it. So, yeah, yeah it was just figuring
1: out what, what I was going to do. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do at no. that point? No. So like high school, you had no idea. It was just like, I guess I'm going to go to college because that's what you're supposed to do type of a thing. And then you were in college you're like, I guess I should go to law school. Or like, what was the progression?
0: I went to college, no idea what I was going to do. I started in a business major, switched to regional development thinking I was going to flip homes and do real estate. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought that that was the fun thing to do. And then I graduated at 21 a year early and I actually enlisted in the Marine Corps and applied to law school at the same time. And I did... When I enlisted in the Marine Corps, I told the Marines, if I get into law school, I'm going to go to law school. And I was thinking, few good men, I'll be a JAG Corps officer, it'd be awesome. Mm. Really just trying to figure out what I was going to do, because also back then, figuring out what you want to do for the rest of your life, some people figured that out and knew. I had no idea. I've always been someone who gets really into things and then get burnt out and want to try something else, and I like starting from scratch and new things. So traditional path wasn't really laid for me in that sense. So I didn't
1: know what I was going to do. That's one of the most wild things in our culture, in my opinion, is we as adults will look at 16, 17, 18 year olds and call them dumb kids all day long. Oh, you're just, you know, I was just so dumb, you know, like all these young, dumb kids, They think they know everything. And there's like all this, you know, like common knowledge that 17 year olds are dummies for the most part. Right. Sorry, 17 year olds. But it's just facts. You just haven't lived that much life. And unless you were like raised in a really tough environment where you had to grow up really, really young, then it's most likely pretty true. Yet at the same time, even though we understand this kind of like base level argument that you're not that smart at that age, we somehow expect them to have a clear idea of what they're going to do for the rest Mm -hmm. of their life without ever having tried (laughs) it. You know, and like declare your major. You yep. know, it's like bro, I don't even know. I don't even know who I am. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're all you are at 17 is a collection of the thoughts of and and ideas of the people around you. But that's there, all you are. You haven't figured out anything about you yet.
0: And it was also part of a laggard system of education, right? Because pre the internet, our my entire world and access to knowledge was whatever was in the Encyclopedia Britannica in the house if I was willing to open it, and what my mom and dad told me is truth. Yeah, and that limits everyone's perspective or whatever (laughs) you were forced to read
1: at school or not read or
0: my friends told me and I believe them more than my parents a lot of the time sure right so your view on what is available to you what is you know your options etc so this whole concept was very new and I can tell you there was a lot of personal trepidation and anxiety around I can't see myself doing any of these things the rest of my life Mm. and so naturally I love sports always did and so I you know, when I got into law school, I said, okay, I'm going to be a sports agent. So if I can't play sports, at least I'll get to be on the field and interact in the sports and entertainment environment by being a sports agent. So
1: did you take college more seriously than you took high school
0: in terms of like academics? I almost dropped out of college. So what happened was after my freshman year, I went home, I went to university of Arizona. I got, you know, B's and C's went, went home and told my parents, I'm, I'm dropping out. I, I just, these classes are boring. I you know, I, after a year, after one year. Yeah. And my dad said, you're not dropping out. He's like, <laughs> actually, you're not doing. That. Yeah. He's like, no, but he's like, why don't you just put your head down and graduate early? If you want to get out, just finish sooner. And I was like, okay, hmm. I can do that. So I put my head down and I graduated in three years instead of four or the traditional five that seems to be the norm these days. Yeah, And, and took some, you know, it, it's funny to say this out loud, but there was mailing classes. So you'd get course material and information and you would mail it back to your professor over the summer because we didn't have online classes. Yeah. So I did those classes over the summer while I was home and graduated just because the parties were fun. I went to University of Arizona. Uh, I was in a fraternity. The, the environment there was awesome. Yeah. But I just couldn't sit idle doing nothing for those years. And I was like, I want to be doing something. And I I always had this tomorrow is going to be better than today mindset, mm. which is good in a lot of ways, but it's bad in a lot of ways because yeah. I'm not always present. I'm yeah, always you thinking about chase
1: the future without ever learning how to engage in the present or okay. living sure. in
0: the, in the present. Right. So no, I almost dropped out of, out of college. I then took it seriously, graduated. And at that point, that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to enlist in the Marine Corps. I was into law school. school
1: is not like something that just anybody can do. Right.
0: Correct. And I wasn't I didn't get into a top law school. Okay. There's tiers to this thing. Sure. sure. And I got it's not Duke. It's not Duke. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I I didn't get into into Harvard Law um, their loss. (laughs) I I got into them and all the NFL teams that passed you up. Yeah. There's a theme. Yeah. (laughs) The underdog story. I got into two law schools, Barry Law School and St. Thomas Law School in Florida. Okay. One in Miami and one in Orlando. And they're proud tier four schools. (laughs) But still law schools. Sure. And I accepted them. I I went to the St. Thomas. I got turned down from all the schools I wanted to go. I applied to like 30 law schools. Okay. But I wanted to go to law school and be a sports agent. So when I got there, I took that seriously. And I finished top 10% of my class the first year and transferred to San Diego to a, a more prestigious law school and a law school that I wanted to be at. Okay. And graduated law school in San Diego. Did you take the bar? I
1: did not. Okay. So by the time you graduated, you were still like, I actually don't want to do this either.
0: Well- so my third year of law school, I met the woman who's my wife uh-huh. and had a daughter. So... And she was
1: also in law school? No. Or you met her- No,
0: I met her outside. So she, okay. so she had a kid already. She was an infant okay. who is now my daughter. And so I met them when I was a third year law student. And we fell in love. And by the end of law, my graduating law school, I had a job actually with in, in sports agency, World Lee Steinberg Sports Agency. And- Realized I didn't want to travel the world representing grownups and doing that. I wanted to be a dad, be a husband, be present. And so I finished law school with six figures in law school loans and no idea what the hell I was going to do with my life.
1: (laughs) Dude, it sounds like you've really mastered the idea of pivoting, which is something that it's one of those weird things in life where it's necessary a lot of the times, but it could also be detrimental where you never see something through or you never stick through the pain mm-hmm. to 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 get the reward on the other side because you're blinded by you know some sort of an immediate pain point that's preventing you from seeing the longer term picture but other times it means that this is not for me and this is not serving me anymore and even though it's going to be uncomfortable to leave or change or do something different I know that I have to do it how do you view how do you view that from from your perspective how do you pivot correctly with the right information to know whether or not you're giving up on something when you shouldn't be, or, you know, hey, I'm hanging on to this too long because of sunk cost fallacy. How do you navigate that?
0: I think that's a learned skill. Earlier in life, and young Jeff was terrible at it, and I probably did quit things too soon, and the college example was what I finally learned, which is I want to drop out of of college. It's a four-year thing. Why don't I just finish it in three and get it done, Hmm. and embrace the suck, so to speak, but accomplish the mission. And then I can move on to whatever I want with the pedigree of that. I've learned about myself. I, I operate in these three to six year focus windows. Okay. And then I kind of get ready for my next thing. Yeah, Works really well for my career today. Worked really bad for my future you know, projections of what I was going to be. Sure. But one of my five core values and one of the things that I really put into my success formula is change ready. And that is now a strength that I'm very good at, hmm. but it took years of probably that teeter tottering of learning. So I think to your question of how do you know how to pivot or when to pivot and when you need to lean in, I use a a personal thing which says, okay, let's play out both sides. And I use the, which would you rather? And it's a very simple analysis you can do for yourself, which says play out the end of both scenarios and which one would you rather live with? Hmm. Right? So would I rather drop out of college and see what's next and never have a college degree and find out I didn't need college? Or would I rather go to college, have a college degree, and find out I didn't need college. Yeah. Right?
1: Especially when you are considering the other factors of going to school. Like you said, you had fun, you made good friendships, you had camaraderie. You, there was additional things that made it to where the worst case scenario here is really not a bad worst case scenario.
0: And, and I think most people, especially college age kids, don't understand actually what college is. Hmm. College is not to learn anything. It's just not. My my oldest daughter, she's 17. She's going to college next year. Crazy. It's crazy. As I tell her... You're not going to college to learn how to be some good at anything. Because yeah. if you want a career, you're going to probably get a graduate degree. Otherwise, you're going to learn a whole bunch of classes that have no correlation and connection to each other. They'll and then you're going to go outdated
1: get outdated by the time you're working.
0: Yeah, you're going to take economics. You're going to take literature. You're going to take you know Native American studies. You're going to take Spanish, and you're going to take you know intro to photography. Right. Pair those together. You're going to end up being a dental hygienist. I mean, right? right they're not going to connect. But what college does do is it is a resume builder. It does show your future employer that you can start something, finish something, and, and control your thoughts around that, knowing that you're going to be taking in, these in this information and all these different topics yeah. and get through it amongst your peers and amongst that environment of options, right? Yeah. Parties, social life, et cetera. So that's what college is. And I think that what I learned during that experience of my mom and dad kind of being that in my ear Um, plus other mentors, was just, it's always better to have more notches in your belt, more of a resume, more things to fall back on. I want more parachutes if I'm jumping out of an airplane. Sure. Not less. Yeah, yeah. And so when you look at those trials and tribulations that you're going through or that I was going through, like, college sucked, I don't want to be in this anymore, or college was great, but the school academic side sucked, I don't want to do this anymore. Leaning into it for two more years gave me options. Yeah.
1: So here you are, early 20s. Yeah. You get married, yep. and marriage comes with an infant daughter. So now you're a dad yep. and your husband and your early twenties. You have six figures in student loans and no prospects for a career. <laughs> yes. Really, really good job, Jeff. Thank you. <laughs> so, mom and dad were proud. Yeah, I'm sure they were. I'm sure you I'm sure your mom was really, really stoked yes. about that. And
0: I can tell you they were they were extremely, extremely proud of the day I told them I'm not taking the bar and not doing anything with this law degree.
1: <laughs> okay. So what was the next step from there?
0: So I did what most people do in that situation, and I got a job. My only job I ever really had as an adult, and a friend of mine worked at ADP, the payroll company, Okay. and so I had always done sales jobs, telemarketing jobs. You know, Dave Meltzer, mutual friend, I worked for a bunch of his companies in high school selling. Okay. I Why? learned. Why sales? Because good sales, people who are good in sales understand it's actually relationship building. Hmm. I don't sell. You know, I, I it's I used a concept called solution-based selling, which means I found people's problems and I identified solutions for them, in mm-hmm. which case I was able to make some money by doing that, ac- accomplishing that
1: and helping companies do that. So real quick, before we move on to that, I completely subscribe to that because there's this kind of, there's this closer culture that exists inside of sales that I think, I, I understand what they're trying to accomplish and I have a lot of empathy for it. I did five, six years of door-to-door sales, which is a different type of sale than, you know, like we're talking about selling studio spaces or mm-hmm. you know selling franchises, different buyer, different prospect, different process. I understand all of that. However, I think that there there's this this closer culture that exists that's just really like alpha bravado type of a culture that discourages a lot of people who would potentially be really great salespeople from getting into the sales industry because they're the stereotypical you know bullshit used car salesman type sales that they teach and they train and they you know, say that this is the way to be successful when there's just an entire world of of this other culture inside of sales, that's way more relational based selling that you can actually make multiples of what somebody selling used cars is, is making. And it has nothing to do with, you know, use these three closing lines (laughs) and techniques on the phone. Don't let them hang up, follow up every day. You know, like there's, there's this other world that exists where, I try to encourage as many people as I can to 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 start your career in sales mm-hmm. or go into sales at some point, and how good it is for so many other you know skill sets, but also good for your bank account because you can earn while you learn and you can earn a good amount. Oh, for you're sure. Earning, you know you can out earn somebody twenty years older than you when you're in your early twenties if you learn how to sell and you have and you get into the right selling opportunity or the right selling vehicle. So I mean, good for you for recognizing that early on and then capitalizing on on that early on in your career as well.
0: Well, and to your point whether you think you're in sales or not, everybody's in sales. Mm. If you're working for a company and you're in the accounting department and there's a promotion opportunity and it's between you and three other people, have you sold yourself to your supervisors? Yeah. And selling means different things. There's the transactional based sale, which is more the used car style approach, which means I don't care about the longevity of this relationship. Mm-hmm. I want to get them from point A to point B and get them to buy something Transaction. and transact. Yep, That was never my bag. I did. I sold sold for a company called Thermal View Industries, selling home improvement stuff over the phone, telemarketing. Yeah, that was the closest to transactional sales. Really
1: close to that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) it was an adventure. I learned that I don't like that. Mm. I'd rather make a relationship with you, and if you go through my career trajectory of all the different businesses I've had, they they go together such in a symbiotic way because I can resell the same individuals, new services, new products, new opportunities. As long as I provided value along the way, and they actually were happy with the transaction, value-based selling,
1: yeah, where it's built yes. on the satisfaction of customers rather than you coming up with the win. Correct. It's like the, the, that's on like that whole culture man, it just like beats it over the head that like if you win, the customer loses, or if the customer wins, you lose, and it's like, well, that's just not true. If mm-hmm. you're doing it the right way, me winning is you winning. Correct. It's not me winning and then like ha ha, gotcha. And it's it's also, that's not a way to treat people. It's also thinking about it differently. I think so
0: often, and we we were talking about this offline, just about not having me twos, right? Mm. And not being a me too salesman or saleswoman, right? Yeah. So at ADP, for example, we were selling payroll services, which means companies would hire ADP to be the back office and handle the paychecks and provide them to all their employees on a bi-weekly, semi-weekly or monthly basis. Well, okay. That's not very sexy. Mm -hmm. It is more transactional. So they had a model. It was called fifty-five and two. Make fifty cold calls a week, set five appointments off those fifty calls, and you'll close two appointments. You do that, you make Presence Club. Congratulations, you do your job. Okay, right. it seems very formulaic. Like who couldn't do that? Mm-hmm. But that's what everyone was doing. So what I did differently, and and this was a, it allowed me to be extremely successful in, in six months. There, be the number one sales rep in the country. Mm-hmm which was really awesome for a 24-year-old
1: in that situation. Sure, when you have six figures in debt and your parents think you're screwing up your life. And I have yeah.
0: a kid and now a fiance. <laughs> yeah. Yep, so I started in, in August of 2007 and by January of 2008, I'd bought a house. I'd almost paid off a lot of that law school loan and I had made over six figures my first six months out of law school wow. on a $38,000 base pay plus commission. I did it because I started to ask myself, well, why do I wanna go and sell one-to-one-to-one-to-one to all these business owners? How can I get them to come to me? I have a real solution. Everyone needs payroll. And ADP was the market leader yeah, by far. Is. Still is. One out of five Americans got paid by an ADP check.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy stat. Isn't it? That.
0: And then we had a, a line, which is if someone was saying, well, I'm choosing between you and someone else, well, you don't get fired for choosing ADP. Meaning we all make mistakes, but ADP, is the, the, we're, the, we're the best. Yeah. So you know you should have the confidence that you're putting your payroll system and your employees' paychecks and their livelihood with a company that is the largest most in the industry. Most reliable, most trusted. Easy yeah. sell, and it's cheap. So I said, okay, well, who else needs payroll, right? So I took a minute, because this is a common theme for me and I, and something I think that people need to get better at as a skill I try to teach others, which is when you have a problem, don't immediately solve the problem. Take a second and evaluate the problem and say, can I do something else which will make this problem go away? Hmm. So my problem was I had to find business owners and get them to buy payroll. So most people started... 55 and 2. ADP gave me the answer. Well, that's a lot of work. And that's a lot of work to get two deals a week. Yeah. And that's just trading my time for the next however long to be average. Right. Well, people who need payroll tend to be new business owners. All new businesses need payroll. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to get them to switch payroll, which is a harder concept. I need to get them fresh. Well, what else do new businesses need? Bank accounts. Okay. Insurance. Okay. Accounting. Accounting. So what did I do? I went and made relationships in my territory with new business bankers, Hmm. (laughs) CPAs and bookkeepers, and insurance agents. And my whole model was to spend my time building those relationships and say, every business I meet with, I'm going to tell them that by banking over here with you, and back then it was Bank of America was my banking partner, Hmm. I'm going to say by you banking with my partner blank at Bank of America, I'm going to have more access to your data and I can set this up even faster and I can waive your onboarding and initiation fee. And I'm going to bring you, Mr. Banker, clients. Who do you bookkeep with? I use this bookkeeper. By working with them, I'm going to have access to all of your reports. I'm going to make sure that your accounting and your payroll systems are tied together. So end of year, when it comes time for tax filing and all So I started to build a dream team of sales reps Mm -hmm. where we're a partnership. I'm going to scratch all their backs. And guess what? That banker saw eight to 10 new businesses a day. Who do you do your payroll? Oh, I don't know yet. Talk to Jeff at ADP. Talk to Jeff. So every day I'm getting inbound leads of not people who are asking that I have to sell why they need our service. Hey Jeff, I was told I need to set up payroll with you from Blank at the yeah. bank. Fantastic! It's like I became
1: you're a you're a, you're a, a box on the checklist, correct. Instead of you know somebody researching to see what payroll they should use, it was like, a, oh, i like, I hear this is where I should <laughs> set up payroll.
0: Well, you you trust everyone trusts friends and and people that they do business with, right? So your banker telling you do payroll with this company,
1: they already are validating me. Yeah.
0: So right. I became a a order taker, yeah. as opposed to a cold caller and pavement pounder.
1: Dude, it's so funny. The framework is there. It's the ability to pull yourself out of what everybody else is doing mm-hmm. and figure out a different solution. It reminds me of, you know John Rulin? No. It's a buddy of mine. I'd like to. Who, yeah, he's a good guy who f- thinks very much the same way as as both of us do, very relational, you know, type of a guy, and he was he became the number one salesperson in Cutco. Oh, and I know Cutco. Largely doing the same thing. So he instead of focusing on selling, you know, cutlery to his friends' parents, which is kind of like their, you know, whole shtick is like make out a list of your inner circle, <laughs> you know, set appointments to demo, you know, whatever. He went and found the people who could use this for themselves to create more business for themselves, build relationships with them, and then just started selling a crazy amount of knives. So he went to like real estate agents and was like, Hey, do you get your clients something for a closing gift? What if we personalize this knife set to Smart. say their last name on <clears> it? So now he has relationships with whatever, dozens, hundreds, thousands of realtors with entire agencies and brokerages, and he was the one that was providing their closing gifts to all their clients. And then all of a sudden, in a short period of time, you know, again, you know, ADP is a massive sales organization. For you to be number one is no small task. For him and Cutco, for him to jump to number one in a small period of time is no small task. Like it's not because you've followed the exact formula that they gave Correct. It was because you thought a little bit differently and thought about how can I utilize my strengths as a relationship builder and leverage other people's time Mm -hmm. rather than only going off of my hours specifically, which is really like a big core concept I think that a lot of people miss. And most people go throughout their entire life never learning that one concept that like stop trading your hours for dollars, learn how to leverage the time that you have, as well as the time that other people have, and think about how that can benefit everybody as a whole.
0: And that's how you identify those pivot opportunities. And that's how you identify opportunities in general, right? I think that there's a huge opportunity missed because as we encounter issues and problems and challenges, we blindly rush to solve them the same way, how to, and you ask Google, and you get the canned answer, and you go. And I can assure you, if the average person had the results that you want, you wouldn't be searching for the answers, right? Right outliers have outlier approaches yeah. and I think it's how we look at those things and so I wasn't smart enough to know what I was really doing at ADP except I knew I didn't like making 50 calls a week sure yeah. I realized that I don't like transactional sales yeah I like to make friends with these people and I can do the same thing for them so I was selling more banking services and spent more time of my day selling banking accounting bookkeeping and insurance you know products yeah then I was selling payroll and I sold more payroll as a result yeah right Right. and and it's an, it's an analogy I use in sports, but it's like the best baseball players, the best golfers, Tiger Woods, he doesn't hit a golf ball like us amateurs do. Mm. He swings the golf club and the ball's in the way. That's what they all tell you like that's why they hit the ball further and better than us amateurs. Yeah. baseball players, they have their swing. they're just hand eye is great enough to make that swing hit the ball, but we tend to look for the ball and hit it. Mm-hmm. and so there's a natural hesitation and reluctance when you do that. Yeah. But when you're swinging clear and the balls irrelevant. You're swinging pure. It's your best swing, and the ball just gets crushed as a result. And it's true in these situations in business. And so, you know, at the ADP side, I had a mission because when I started, they offered me $38,000 in base pay. I couldn't afford to live and support my family with that. Right. And the commissions were cool, but it was a tiered structure. And I didn't really start to make money until the back end of those sales. And I sold a lot of it. Yeah, I had an annual contract to sell about $180,000 a year in, in payroll. In my first six months, I sold over a half a million. I was the first to make Presence Club and all this stuff. Yeah, But when I took the job, I had negotiated a $17,000 base pay bump. Hmm. And I had to hit a metric to do it. And so I hit that metric. And I hit that metric in December, from August to December. And in January, I went and asked for it. And the day that I asked for it, I said, listen, I, I earned a new bonus. And I went from what was called an ADM to an SDM. And it was like a new position. And I was all excited. Give me my 17 grand base increase. They told me I had to wait to the end of the fiscal year. Hmm. And the fiscal year wasn't until June, ended in June. So it'd be starting in July. And they were telling me it's annual goals. Jeff, you did it early. You're an outlier. Our systems are built on an annual basis. So in July, you'll get the you'll get the promotion. You'll get the base pay increase. And that was one of the worst days of my professional
1: life yeah no kidding and it was also probably one of the they're not best moments either because <laughs> the next step of the story is basically you were like actually i think i'm gonna go just do this on my own
0: well i actually asked i threatened him. i i was 24 with an ego yeah so i said either give me they're the loss. money or they're i quit loss, bro. and loss. naturally like the football scouts they let me walk out the door <laughs> yeah. i could be a star football player somebody
1: yeah you, you, Not could, too late. you could be the number one district manager at ADP <laughs> right now, but they said no. You
0: know? I would still probably be there had they given me my base. Isn't that wild? The job was so easy for me. Yeah. I was working three days a week, mm. s- six hours a day. I was an order taker.
1: Yeah. And you were going to make, what, a couple hundred thousand dollars? Yeah, 300000 that yeah. year probably. I mean, which is- At 24 in 2007? Yeah. Eight? I mean, that's more than you were going to make it as, a, as an attorney <laughs> oh, yeah. for your first decade plus, at least. At least. At least. And
0: I was golfing a couple times a week. I was going yeah. out and, and taking people to dinners and lunches and being social and home anytime I wanted and yeah. didn't report to a cubicle or an office. I mean, it was a great lifestyle. Yeah, pretty sweet gig.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why I tell a lot of people, man, start in sales, do something in sales because, mm-hmm. like, if you can figure out something like that, you get money, you get freedom. And you improve on a bunch of skills that will help you later on in life anyway.
0: Well, it's a revenue generator. Like, if you want to make a lot of money, you have to be a revenue generator for a company. And it's why, you know, oh, why don't policemen and teachers make more money? They deserve it. They do deserve it. Yeah. They deserve to make more than most professions. Especially teachers. Yeah, of course. My mom was a teacher. Yeah. They just don't generate revenue, unfortunately. They're a cost center to whomever is paying it. Yes, they're they're making investments that will generate revenue for the, you know, our tax code, et cetera. But they're not actually turning in an ROI that can be, allow them to get paid more. That can be immediately measured. Sales is immediate. Yeah, right. If I sell a million dollars of your product and you have a 20% margin, I made you 200 grand. If you pay me 50 grand to do it, I can negotiate up to 150 and you make 50 and I make 150. Right.
1: And you'll turn me over as many times as you can. Right. It's yeah. just a model. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Because you can tie it back to an immediate return. Correct. Yeah. So many opportunities inside of that world that I think, I think people just don't know that they exist you know, like they just, they're so caught up in whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish or whatever it is that they're trying to do that they don't realize that that stuff is even possible for them.
0: And it's such a valuable skill to learn how to articulate your thoughts and speak them to an individual while dealing with objections
1: and objection handling. Exactly. To communicate and persuade. Correct. Effectively will be a skill that will serve you for the rest of your life, even if you end up leaving sales. 100%. But especially if you get into entrepreneurship or being a CEO, (laughs) like it's- a core skill set. It's half. I
0: mean, half the job without the word sales is it, you're selling. You're either right. selling your company, you're you're selling investors, you're selling employees to join your company, you're selling vendors to use you or to let you use them and to negotiate pricing. You're mm-hmm. selling your products or services. I mean, you're it's, selling your culture to you're selling talent. everything. You're just yeah. selling,
1: right? Let me ask you this: marketing or sales, which one is more important?
0: Ooh, that's a great question. I'm going to still go with sales.
1: Yeah. I'm sort of a sales. I look at this pretty frequently because I obviously started in sales, and mm-hmm. when I was in, when I was doing door to door hardcore, it was like, oh, sales, no question about it, you know. But I didn't understand the world of marketing very well, and so now I look at it kind of like, as far as a position at a company goes, I think marketing can potentially take you further or make you more money because it's it's infinitely scalable. Sure. Marketing is right. Sales doesn't have as much potential to earn you as big of a paycheck as marketing does because marketing can be more responsible directly for bringing in X amount of dollars. Like if you're a brilliant marketer, you can get sure. like millions of dollars a year to write copy or but I, script via sales or I, I would just, I would only argue that part of that
0: marketing term yep. blends to sales in the process. Sure. So the marketing element of marketing that you're referencing. Yeah. There's a sales. Selling. There's a yeah. sales copywriting part copywriting is sales, right? Sure. They're making the money because they're effectively selling through their marketing. This other medium. The marketing is getting it out to the masses. The selling's the message that right. is being sold. So
1: that's yeah, I always go back and yeah, forth on. They go it. Hand yeah, and I in. go back and forth. I mean, it's if, like
0: I would always say I would rather know how to sell than a market.
1: I subscribe to that. At the end of the day, I subscribe to that simply for the reason. That if I know I'm not going to be the number one smartest marketer in the world, which I know I'm not, then it makes more sense for me to be a really good salesperson because I can sell a marketer on working for or Mm -hmm. with me. Correct. And that to me is the ability to sell or lead other people in a certain direction is more important in my opinion long term, especially entrepreneurship, CEO, whatever, leading a big team, leveraging other people's time, I think will do better you know, long-term than anything else. And
0: I think if you look at CEOs in America, if we just focus on the business sector, most of them are salesmen or women.
1: Yeah, or started out that way.
0: That's what they are, though. They're selling their company to the investors of the street. Sure. That's what they're doing. The culture, all those things. They're they're, responsible for that. They're
1: getting investment dollars or they're getting dollars from customers. But they
0: have a marketing department. Now, the best marketers can elevate them to stratospheres higher than any individual salesperson can do.
1: Exactly. Yes, exactly. That's kind of of my point is like if you are one of the people working for the company, then like you might – you would probably be able to out-earn. Yes. Like the top marketer at a big company will probably out-earn the top salesperson. Correct. Top company. Correct, but in terms of like a like a skill that you're stacking in life, the ability to communicate and, and persuade effectively in the context of sales, mm-hmm. I think still still reigns supreme. It's powerful. I it's mean, conversation, though. For it sure. is, and I mean, it's
0: in it, sales is the sales and marketing, but marketing, unless you're marketing yourself in the personal brand side, yeah. You intend I prior to the personal brand movement, I always looked at marketing as the rocket fuel and sales as the rocket ship, hmm. and the marketing can can you need marketing to take the rocket ship in the air, but you can only go as far as the quality of that rocket ship. Yeah. Today, with personal branding, one could argue they kind of start to go the same. But sure, the personal brand is the selling because you're selling something think, about I yourself. I was
1: gonna say the personal brand is that's why it's so important to build personal. That's why we're sitting in the studio right now. You know, yes. it's like the building of the personal brand is marketing and sales combined. Yeah. You look, you take the the biggest, most obvious examples of this, like The Rock, and you look at the companies that he's started or even who was it recently oh logan paul started prime yeah the, the company what was it eric they get two two hundred 250 million year one is that what you sent me the other day yeah 250 million 250 million dollars yeah. in their first year yeah. that sounded way too big but that's it that's <laughs> insane yeah. they're competing against gatorade and they did 250 million dollars their first year like but that sales and marketing combined, and
0: he's one of the top marketers in the world. Absolutely, I mean, him and his brother, are,
1: phenomenal marketers. Yes, yeah, brilliant, brilliant marketers.
0: And the, and how they pivoted their careers and dominated on them as a, as phenomenal marketers. They've pivoted from you know that homeboy house back right. when when they were right. just you know YouTubers and whatnot to athletes to now.
1: Business people, business, yeah, business, bonified business yeah, people. Absolutely, yeah, right. on multiple facets. Yeah, they don't. They don't get enough credit for sure. They um, really don't. But yeah, that version, that personal brand version, is just like it's it's the marketing and sales engine one because you don't really you don't even have to sell at that point. It's Correct. just like, hey, you want some of this stuff that's going to fly off of your shelves? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. How many do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, like The Rock with Terramana will make more on just that one company than all of his earned income that he's ever done. Absolutely. acting movies, a 20-year career is nothing compared to how much he'll sell Taramona I mean, for. You can...
0: Even going away from those two, because I would say the Kardashians are the greatest example of that, because totally. they don't... No disrespect to them, they don't have... Any an,
1: other skill sets?
0: <laughs> an underlying service to offer. Sure. The Rock was yeah. a professional football player, wrestler, and actor. Right. You know, Logan Paul is an athlete, a boxer, now WWF.
1: Yeah, entertainer.
0: Entertainer. Yeah. The Kardashians were models that they made themselves into right and then they
1: became entertainers but they weren't famous for anything in particular correct. except for you know reality Bruce TV shows ish and, and creating a reality tv show at the sex right time tape you know that I, helps it, it helps it helps but you know there's a lot of people that have had that 60 seconds of fame that did yes. not leverage it into several multi-billion dollar companies and to be the most followed people in the world
0: no i mean what that's their best skills. Their marketing absolutely. ability. Chris That's Jenner, what I'm saying.
1: Yeah, as a marketing, genius. they're geniuses. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're again another one of those you know those people that don't get any credit for any of the stuff that they've done. It's like you don't luck yourself into that. Mm-hmm. It, are there things along the way that were lucky? Absolutely. Like I am not one of those people that says like you know that luck plays zero part in any of this. I think luck plays like a pretty big role. The the bottom line though is that the more chances you take, the more like swings you take the more likely you are to get lucky on one of them.
0: Well, I, and I'll double down on that because my friends jokingly always say, Fenster luck, because I get lucky with things. Yeah. I do. Yeah. But luck is, the, the quote, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm-hmm. Most people have the same amount of luck as the Kardashians, as everyone else. They're not prepared and they don't recognize the opportunities when luck hands it to them. Totally. Yeah, And they that's, they don't see it. Yeah. If you don't see it, you can't get lucky. Yep. If I walk by the winning lottery ticket and I don't pick it up and someone else picks it up and I go, oh, they're so lucky. Yeah, they're so lucky. <laughs> I didn't yeah. pick it Must up. Must be nice. Must be nice, yeah. <laughs> right? We all have the same amount of luck and unluck. I mean, of course, I'm speaking generally. Yeah. Obviously, there's extremes. But sure. luck is something we it's all It's a spectrum share. for sure. Yes. You know, where
1: it's like. If you're born in this part of the world and you look like this and you got these opportunities afforded to you, you're probably going to be able to see it a little bit better,
0: oh of course, when I say that I do mean in America, yeah, uh, sure, I think all of Americans we all won the the luck oh totally to not be born in North Korea,
1: yeah, dude. I was thinking about that recently looking at some of the other problems the world experiences and just thinking like what an actual privilege it is to be born here, like our problems, yes, are privileged problems, you know what I mean like Are the things happening right now bad? Yeah. Are there mental health problems that are bad? There's a lot of stuff that we as Americans have that other countries don't have that are big problems. But the only reason we have those problems is because we fixed all the other problems. Correct. You know what I mean? Like the only reason that we can be worried about depression and anxiety at a rate that is frankly pretty alarming and especially compared to the rest of the world and the way that they experience those mental health issues the reason that that's like one of our biggest problems is because we've already taken care of the majority of the other problems that civilization has faced for the last, you know, ten thousand years.
0: What well, we, have, we have, I mean, again, not to minimize these conditions because they're serious and they they need to be focused on, but yeah. we don't. We have time to be depressed. We have time exactly. to feel these emotions and and dwell in the things that are plaguing us emotionally and mm-hmm. mentally. When you're running for your life in Africa to get water and running from literal lions. Right,
1: right. You don't have time to be worrying about depressed. Right. Your day is full of like I got to hike down to the river to get some clean water. Correct. It's survival know, starting mode. at 5 a.m. and then I you know, like we got to go farm mm-hmm. the the you know ground to get our meals for it's like it's a, just a completely different life. Like, Correct. You, exactly. You have everything in abundance and we're wired as humans to search for problems. So, of course, we're going to find them. We're just finding them in different places mm-hmm. now. And now the cool thing about it is being like innovators in the world is that we can now start learning. We can start down the path of learning how to take care of these problems. So when the rest of the world catches up on like some of the other things that we've already taken care of here, you know, hopefully we'll have some other solutions where, you know, these other continents and other you know, places catch up in terms of technology and, and innovation and infrastructure. Absolutely. And some of those things, you know, assuming that they want those things. Then hopefully by that point, we'll be like, oh, by the way, when you fix these things, you might have a lot of anxious and depressed people. Here's what we did to kind of help solve that problem. Yeah, exactly. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Okay. so I want I want to jump back in focus back in onto your story here so you you started this other payroll company yes it went well you exited that company
0: yeah so I uh, mean and a buddy started it he was I got him a job at ADP and then I sucked him out of ADP and quit my job sold the house moved in with my mom and dad started my first company with my buddy out of my mom's kitchen
1: how did he, mom feel about that one
0: they lent us 20 or they invested 20 it was a loan but turned into an investment yeah. 20 grand again. They were not stoked about it. They're like, you're literally walking away from...
1: But they had to have had, like... I was making more as
0: much as my dad as a doctor. That's
1: what I'm saying. Like, they had to have some vote of confidence, though, to be like... I mean, he figured out how to make, like, 250 grand a year at 24 with not really any skill in this area. So if he can figure that out, maybe he can figure this out.
0: Not yet. No? It was more like you've been there six months and now you're jumping to another career path it was more like i don't want to see my grandbaby star there's 20 grand (laughs) and we're moving in so the boomerang (laughs) now you're moving back into whose house (laughs) so i you know i think i don't remember exactly what they said but they weren't excited about it they were definitely trying to talk me out of it i just kept telling them, listen and this is what i tell anyone who's on the fence about starting their own thing it's like if i got the job at adp you don't think paychecks would hire me i was the number one sales rep in the damn country sure so say i started and it fails i'll go get a job Totally. I can always do that. I got a
1: job once. I'll get a job again. The safe path is always there. Mm -hmm. It is literally always there. And I don't know that that's the safe path. I still question if that is the safe path. That's true. You know, Jim Carrey said that, that always stuck with me in in this commencement speech that he did. And I've seen the clips all over, so I'm sure it's gone viral several times. But he basically was talking about how he said, "It's talking about how talented his dad was, how funny his dad was. And he wanted to be in comedy and he didn't do it. He was like, my dad was, could have been a really great comedian. But he decided to do the safe route and did this, What I forget the, the job that it was, but it was just some right-of-the-mill re, regular job, you know, type of blue-collar type of a thing. And it was just like he took this safe job that he ended up getting fired from and couldn't, you know, support himself afterwards and all this other stuff. And then he goes, and it really hit me at that point that if you can fail at what you don't want, why not take a chance on doing what you love? Yep. And it was like a oh so well put mm-hmm. failure can come in a variety of ways even in the safe route and sometimes especially the safe route in that sense you're just doing something that you hate and you failed at that wouldn't you rather fail at trying to do something that you really want to do even if it means that you're quote unquote less successful in the eyes of culture and society sure. right like that's brilliant i mean it's exactly right the definition of success to me is is different than that it's not it's not a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. What would you say your definition is before i tell you? For
0: not? success? Success. Options and freedom. Options and freedom. To options to do what i want and the freedom to do it. Yeah. So it's not a monetary goal for me. That's why when i say i have a success formula, my success is different than others. Mm. You know, my goal isn't to be the kardashians big. Yeah. I mean i won't turn it down, but i'm not i'm not hunting it. It's sure. not that's not my north star. That's not what i say that is my mission. Yeah. Freedom and options.
1: Yeah, what i what i say is It's the realization of your personal journey to me is like success because it's it's just so many things are variables. If I laid out a thing like twelve different items and I said, "Here's all the things that society and culture tells you to make you successful," every one of us would look at that list and put them in a different order of priorities. Sure, and so the problem to me, like I think the the biggest failure is the opposite of the realization of your personal journey. Meaning that you're chasing a version of success that was thrust upon you by somebody else's opinion. Your parents, culture, society at large, teachers, influences, all these other people that are saying, this means success. And then you go down that path and they applaud you and they go, see, you're being successful. Doesn't this feel great? And then on the inside, you're like, no, this sucks. And I don't know why. Because it seems like it should be great. It's the dog chasing the car. Yeah. Then they catch it No, they don't know what the hell to do with it. Right. You climb the wrong, you climb the wrong fucking mountain. Yeah. You know, like that's the worst place in life to be, dude, is you put in all this work and you toil Mm -hmm. and you work and work and work and work. And then you like get up to the top of this mountain, you plant your flag and you look around, you go, I actually kind of wanted to be on the top of that mountain. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what do you do at that point? Well,
0: and, and, and I think we also forget that everything great from the iPhone to technology, to food, to every invention, every idea. All came from an individual sitting there who thought it, who thought about it, and thought it up, and just said, "I'm going to go for it." Yeah, and didn't take the traditional path. Well, yeah, yeah, and didn't worry about it. Yeah, that's I mean, the big look, thing. you you have bills, but I legitimately left a six figure a year job with a wife, a fee, a kid, mm-hmm. and six figures in law school loans and a mortgage. Yeah, I did it. Right. So when I hear, "Well, I have a kids and I have I have bills," so did I. Yeah. Now I can tell you. I made millions of dollars in my life since then. Mm-hmm. I don't regret it one day. Yeah, and I'm not saying everyone's going to achieve that kind of success or they're going to have that same result. Sure. And not everyone has parents who let them move in.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> I yeah, mean, every situation is a little bit different. With that. Of course, of course. But like the the point is is the point is is if somebody's done it from a worse position that you're in, then that's no longer the excuse for you.
0: Correct. You know well, Why don't? I'm that's not an excuse to me. Yeah. That that's, that that's the wrong thing to be looking at. Sure. Find a solution.
1: Exactly. For you, the solution was I can go live with my parents and sell my house. Correct. For somebody else, if they, may not, if they don't have that option, then there is a solution. There is. It exists. You just have to do two things. Number one, find the solution. And then number two, ask yourself if the goal is worthy enough to actually implement the solution. So which would you rather? Because it's probably going to come with some sort of pain. Like that we downgrade our lifestyle, we move back in with my parents mm-hmm. with my wife and my daughter, probably not a fun thing as a twenty four year old that's on track to make two fifty to three hundred thousand dollars, of course, to give up that income, give up the house, probably could have gotten a sweet car, put in a pool, like lived a really cool life that most twenty four year olds would be all about, even if they didn't have a wife and kid, yep. and you were like, ah." I actually, like this path, even though there's going to be a lot more pain involved and I don't really have any idea what I'm doing and I've never started a company be- before, I'm going to go ahead and go this path because I don't know how to explain it, but it's what I want and I think that that sacrifice is just going to be just going to be worth it.
0: And I didn't even know that's what I wanted, but I played the which would you rather game and I mean this, like I play it out and I play the doomsday scenario on both sides. Yeah, worst case. I fail at my own company, then what? Mm-hmm. I go get a job and I re- go sell a lot of payroll and make a lot of money. Right. I stay at ADP forever and I'm miserable. Totally, yeah. I can tell you which one I'm going Which with. one's worse? I, yeah. I can always end at miserable. <laughs>
1: right, exactly.
0: Right? To your point, I can fail both ways. Right. I can end up back to where I would have been, but for trying. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so we started the company out of my mom's kitchen. It was obviously, like I said, our shit show experience <laughs> in this beginning. And uh, never forget the very first time we ran payroll. It's a funny story. So my buddy Brian... He, he was going to be the operations and I was going to be the sales because we were both in sales at ADP, but I was a little better at sales. He was a little more organized and, okay. and s- smarter than me, so he should be the operations side. And I naturally went out and sold a lot of payroll. So we had our you know, 12, 14 clients our first week. And we have a couple hundred paychecks. So we get the printer. We buy the software. We're all excited. We, we bought some software to do it. We print the button. We print all these checks. We deliver them. We're in our office or my mom's house high-fiving on a Friday, you know, basically having a little drink, celebrating. The first phone call comes in. Hey, guys, one of our employees is saying the check won't cash. That's strange. Must be something with the bank. Next phone call. Next phone call. Next phone call. <laughs> what well, we didn't know because in the How to Start a Company 101 book yeah. and no Google and YouTube back then. Well, there might have been Google, but it wasn't like it is today. There's this thing called Micro Ink, which is magnetic. It's a magnetic ink that banks use so you don't print checks at your home printer. We didn't know that. So we sent 250-ish dummy checks to every single client on our very first payroll run. Oh, man. And then now you're fucking with people's livelihoods.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, because some people
0: need need that money to pay the bills this weekend. Yeah, right. So it was a shit show. Yeah, so we had to literally handwrite a whole bunch of checks, go to everybody's bank, make deposits, stop at their homes, and drive around the entire city of San Diego to solve that problem. (laughs) But (laughs) But we we learned, and we learned. And you know what we learned? micro Inc. Yeah. We got 100% better that day. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> okay, so, so it
1: ends up going pretty well. It
0: does. Right? You sell the company. We raised private equity. Oh, We, did? Okay. we did. We raised private equity capital in 2000 and at the end of eight and okay. beginning of nine, changed the name to Canopy HR from iChecks, elevated from just a payroll company to a technology company focusing on an HRIS platform and bringing the HR industry into the 21st century with the internet and a single database and apps and all this fun stuff. We ended up selling the company to a company in Florida in 2011.
1: Okay. And then that's when you got into digital marketing.
0: Not yet. So during that time was the recession. And a lot of our clients, so again, I was thinking of how do I sell more payroll clients and how do I get more clients? And the issue then that was happening was if I got your business and you had 22 employees, I got 22 checks. If you grew to 25, I got 25 checks. I didn't have to sell anybody. So I wanted my current clients to grow. So I started just oh, getting shit. to know my customers and ask them, what's the biggest challenge you're, you're facing today? And in the Great Recession between 08 and 10, it was hiring. Employees weren't changing jobs. So if you had a job, you weren't leaving because the economic climate was terrible. Mm-hmm. And the unemployment pool was enormous. So to sort through that to find quality was awful. Yeah. So I started a recruiting agency on the side called JFen Recruiting, and I only served my current clients. So I have kind of vertically integrated that to the iChecks Canopy model. And said, listen, if you join our, our team, we'll have this recruiting arm. And if you need recruiting services, we'll spend the time to help find polished quality talent for you mm. and help them grow. So did that. A buddy of mine was a recruiter, so kind of partnered up and then got rid of that in at the end of 2011 as well.
1: Okay. As a separate entity.
0: Separate entity. And then 2012 was more of the year I learned. Okay. So the same buddy, Brian and I started a company called Equity Circle. And the goal was to legalize equity-based crowdfunding. Okay. It was illegal back then. So you couldn't crowdfund for Mm -hmm. equity. And Kickstarter was basically just getting started. It was like an idea. So we got all these signatures. We started to invest in how we're going to build the technology and the platform and do all this stuff. We got hundreds of thousands of signatures. It was a fun experiment. Experiment. Mm -hmm. I learned something big on this, which is it legalized. Yay. We achieved our mission. We had no technology. We lost to the guys and girls that were building the technology waiting for people like us to fight the good fight. Ah. So I learned to gotcha. I learned about business that it's better to have a product and a service than to be trying to change policy like to be and be to be a lobbyist. And I had a sports investing company called sportsinvestingsystems.com where I was trying to sell membership services to sports betting. Okay. We had some algorithms that worked really well for sports betting. And so we did we did that for a while. 2012 was more of a year of learning. A lot of little little side businesses that just didn't really go anywhere. Sure.
1: But you were sitting okay from the exit though.
0: Ish. So I got my MBA th- through the School of Hard Knocks. What I learned with iCheck's Canopy was we sold the company for a lot of money. Brian and I didn't make a lot of money.
1: Hmm. Profit um, equity had options that they exercised during this exit. I right?
0: wish. So what happened was, and to their brilliance, they identified two 24 and 25 year old guys that were willing to work 200 hour weeks and <laughs> kill and basically free slaves and had no money. Yeah. And so we raised a million five on our first round. They, it was a 70 30. We kept 70%. They had 30. If we did $2 million in revenue, we spent $2.2 in, in expenses. Hmm. So we ran out of money. But we want to make these good investments. And they were smart. And they were a polished private equity firm. And we opened an office in Orange County. And in San Diego, we hired these very expensive CTOs to build our technology. We made all these amazing capital investments and watched our money deplete. We go to them and go, hey, we're going to run out of money. Oh, no problem, guys. We love the business. Just a little bit more equity. We'll put the money in. Do you have your share? No, no problem. Well, it'll be dilutive. Yeah. And so it just kept going where they kept putting more money in and diluting us until the point where... I learned the golden rule that he or she who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah. So we sold the company when we didn't
1: want to. That's Jafar's golden rule.
0: It is. Yep. So we sold the company when we didn't want to, and we made a little bit of money, Yeah. yeah. obviously, enough to think about what was next. Enough to
1: lose it on the side businesses the next year. I, I didn't buy a private plane. <laughs>
0: yeah. No yachts. No yachts. No, no yachts. Lambos. No. No, no Lambos, no yachts, but I made some money and I had an exit and it was a successful exit. Yeah. And I had the experience. I I was
1: going to say, when you're that age, like that by itself, even if you walk away with zero dollars, is positive. Yeah. You, You were a steward of capital and you turned that capital into more capital. Correct. And that's like, that's a W. In the W, like in, that's a point in the W column, no matter how you cut it. Yes. Right. I, I didn't have that perspective seven, then. Yeah, sure.
0: I was very <laughs> <Yeah>. upset. <laughs> a um, little
1: bitter, not better.
0: Yes, definitely bitter, not better, but <laughs> hindsight, right? Yeah. But then in 2012, at the end of 2011, my youngest was born. Okay. And I wanted to work from a computer because I figured the computer wasn't going anywhere. And I just made a bunch of money building a company, moving one industry that was archaic to the internet mm-hmm. and figured there's this whole world of, of business owners that haven't yet figured out how to transition online, digital marketing seems like the play. And one of my buddies from high school, his name's Pat Flynn, had this website called Smart Passive Income. And I like the idea of Smart Passive Income. So I reached out to him and was like, hey, dude, let me pay you to teach me how to do some digital marketing stuff. And we went to lunch and he jokingly said, you know, it's called Smart Passive Income. I don't teach people (laughs) actively. (laughs) It's passive. I don't want to work, Jeff. But let me introduce you to Neil Patel, he he's a digital marketer and i'm sure he could help you and i didn't know who neil was and i should have because he was like renowned even then for co-founding some amazing products and services and so i said yeah please set me up so he set me up with an intro to neil and we were going to meet and so i was like all right i'm going to make neil my partner how am i going to do that and i want to start my own digital marketing company and that was the foray into digital marketing first of
1: all it's wild that you went to school with pat at the, i mean 2011 that was like what a year two years after he no three three years after he started his blog yeah two or three yeah, years cuz i know that he started in the middle of the recession yeah, after he lost his he job he lost his job his podcast i think though came 2011 2012 or something like that and now has a couple hundred million downloads mm-hmm. wildly successful really cool guy too
0: yeah i mean we went to middle school together we were we were more friendly in middle school than high school that's um funny. but it goes back to the relationship capital yeah, right right
1: right and then to make an intro to freaking neil patel yeah, who now is I mean, name a better SEO marketer. Can't. Yeah. Like, literally, no. And
0: an incredible human being. Yeah. Right. So you
1: meet him. He already has accolades at that point. Oh, yeah. He already had a resume.
0: I legitimately said to Pat, who's that? And he laughed and said, Google him. Okay. (laughs) Like, if you're going to play in this space, at least know somebody. So, (laughs) you know, I want to be in the NFL. All right. Talk to Tom Brady. Who's that?
1: Who? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That was me. So he already has this resume and accolades. How do you come in and talk to him and then be like, hey, we should start a business together?
0: Well, it was kind of the same model I did at ADP. I always stop. I stop, drop, and roll. Like if there's a fire, stop, assess the problem, and roll into what's next. So I did that. I was like, okay, I'm going to have this meeting with Neil Patel. I'm really good at sales. I had just sold thousands of clients in payroll, so I know tons of business owners who probably could use Mm. SEO and digital marketing services. He doesn't know me and he probably gets hit up by a million me's asking to, I can bring you clients. So I did what I do and I went and sold a six figure digital marketing contract before I met him Hmm. and I went to the client or for my first client, big company. And I said, listen, you guys are making, at the time they were making like 40 million a year in selling merch, a product. I don't want to name drop them, a product, but only about a million online.
1: It was a physical product?
0: Physical product. Yep. It's in the culinary space. Okay. And I said to them, how about you let me and Neil come in and make you a lot of money online? And you pay me based on how much growth I do here. Cost you nothing. So I'm only going to eat what I bring in. Basically, let me be your outside sales team for your internet department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it'll cost you nothing to try. And if you don't know who Neil is, you should Google him. I still haven't met Neil. So I use the same line to these guys because they were in their 50s at the time. You
1: don't know Neil Patel? Yeah. Oh, my God. You need to Google him. And they said, of course. Really out of touch, fifty yeah. year olds.
0: I was actually in an airport, and I have a call with Neil. And I'm like, hey, what's up? Nice to meet you. It's like, Nice to meet you. I'm like, hey, Neil, I really appreciate the time. You know, I'm so grateful Pat connected us. I have a check for you for six figures, 180 thousand. Where do I send it? <laughs> and that's all I said. Yeah. And he's like, what? I'm like, I have a check for you for 180 thousand. Where do I send it? He's like, for what? I'm like, I just sold our first digital marketing client, and I have a whole lot more to follow it. And he's like, wait, what? Who? Like, he was. Kind of dumbfounded. Like we we derailed the immediacy of where he thought the call was gonna go. And it got him piqued his interest enough to meet. We met, we became buddies. He let me build a brand pretty much off of his name. Okay. Using my relationship capital and know how.
1: He didn't have an agency back then or he He didn't have have, he
0: did not have Neopatel Digital then. Okay. No.
1: But and he didn't have any. Agency. No,
0: it wasn't like the. He didn't have like a formal agency. Gotcha, he had Kissmetrics. Gotcha. He had Hello Bar. He had Crazy Egg, and he had his his blog. Okay. Um, gotcha. But he did not have a formal agency, so I put together an agency, and I would basically go and sell using. And he'd fly in for meetings when I needed him, but yeah. I was doing more of the heavy lifting and basically built a business on the back of his name, his brand, um, essentially. Which in my book I talk about as the bug light philosophy, hmm. right? which is a great way to build a company if you have the trust of, of that individual, that expert, that leader. And he knew I was going to be very respectful of his brand. Sure. And really quickly, we made a lot of money. We worked with some of the biggest websites on the planet, top 100 websites on the planet, making a fortune. Yeah. It was great. I still don't know how to use a computer, but it was great. <laughs> and then you sold that business. 2015, I was getting tired of doing it. Okay. He was making way more money speaking. He wanted to start and Neil Patel Digital. And I didn't want to be in that business. Mm. So we sold off our clients. Basically, he spun up Neil Patel Digital about a year and a half later and was doing more speaking and kind of semi-retired himself. And I semi-retired myself to figure out what was next
1: too. So now at this point, you have real money in the bank. I have real money in the bank. Yeah. So now it's kind of like, hey, I'm not worried about how my kids are going to get fed next week at this point. When you reach that level of comfort, in life how do you go about deciding what's next
0: well first you think nothing's next you think you're gonna retire you think you're just gonna hang out at home and then you realize how boring that may be for someone who has that engine to sure to go out there and do create. that yeah it's just I, I got bored and i started to drive my wife and kids crazy and they uh, legitimately said at the time this is 2016 so six years ago so i was 33 yeah so 30, way too early, yeah. Way too early. Thirty-two, thirty, yeah, eighty-three, 9, yeah, two thousand sixteen. So thirty-three, yeah. So I literally, my wife said, "Go do something." You're driving us crazy. Like <laughs> you, you, you have too much of an engine and focus to to not be doing stuff. Yeah, please, Just go do anything. Please leave.
1: Yeah. Get I love out you. of the house. <laughs> but please get out of here.
0: But it was good. I took I took about a year to figure out what was next. Yeah, and I realized what I wanted to do next was more of a passion project mm. uh, outside of startups, which I've learned to my entrepreneurial add or my ability to not do something for more than five years and get bored startups is great yeah that's why i like the serial entrepreneurship term my wife will say degenerate but yeah. it's what i like to do i wanted to do something i was really passionate about and health and wellness was like a passion of mine it's something i believe in it's something i spent a lot of effort doing i import superfoods i work out a lot i focus on prevention of illness and i spent a lot of time trying to convince friends of mine to eat better move their body more and be healthy yeah and so I figured, let me disrupt this industry. Let me let me go play in it. You know, I think I have a, a voice that should be heard in the space. I think I can add value here. And so I started it without really a goal of where I am today was not my intention. Yeah. You know, like all things, you tell me what your plans are in five years and see if you actually sure. end up there. But so this,
1: that's that's how Everbowl was born. That's Which how Everbowl was born. now has 60 locations plus signed on. 310. Yeah. Yeah. So coast not, to a, coast. not a total flop not a yeah, flop. Yeah, you could be doing better, but you know, <laughs> not a, not a complete flop. And then out, out of that has there's a couple other brands that have that have spun out of that. And it, it seems like something you really mastered, bro is just you let life happen and then you search for gaps or problems that need solving. Like a true like this is entrepreneurship at its core. Like true entrepreneurship is just solving problems for people. Cuz to stuff. your point is that what we we're talking about earlier with value-based selling like if you're selling a product that people need and it actually like fulfills that need, it's not really selling. You're you you do not have to convince them, you know that they need this product. They already are experiencing the problem. You just mm-hmm. have to convince them that you're a trustworthy person and that and that the product or service that you have will actually solve the problem that they're experiencing. Correct. But the problem exists and you build a viable solution to that problem. The obvious next step is the sale, is Correct. the acceptance of that solution and the exchange of money for that solution. Exactly. So the the thing that I love about everything you got going on. I mean, you have unevolved products and brands, which is kind of like merch and clothing, right? Now you have unevolved studios that we're sitting in right now. And then you have Everbolt and you have this really cool concept called WeBuild. We, build. we build stuff. We build stuff. Okay. So we this, built,
0: but it's just the real official name is We Build Stuff.
1: Okay, We Build Stuff. So you have, so you have this over here, living in its own little world. But what I thought was really interesting about that is, and, and I asked this question earlier, kind of on like a mock basis, but I want to ask you this live because I think it's really valuable. You get to work building your first ever location. It costs you over three hundred grand. Two hundred eighty. Oh, so almost three hundred thousand dollars to yeah. build out, and you were like, "This cannot be <laughs> the answer." This problem, like this, is this is a real problem. If it takes me two hundred eighty thousand dollars to build out each location, how is this going to be profitable? It's going to take me X amount of years to get my money back. To you know, our margins are are gone. This is not a sustainable model.
0: And I also wanted to build a hundred of them, and so I would need a lot of money. Sure, sure. Which was really the biggest impetus for why I did what I did.
1: So what's interesting to me is that you're not the first franchise in the world. There's a lot of franchises (laughs) out there, right? Yep. And they all use that exact model. They get a franchisee. They sign them on. They sell the location. They do the build-out. They open. There's a ton of space between the time that they sign and collect whatever you know upfront fee for the franchise is and the time where that business is actually open, bringing in customers, and they're able to collect royalties on yep. that customer. There's a big gap that happens, and there's a lot of room for error in that gap. And it's really expensive. So instead of just being like, ah, forget it. You know, restaurant business isn't my thing or the restaurant business doesn't work well. You decide to come up with a new concept. And so now what you do is you have this entire manufacturing facility where you prefab the entire build out in your warehouse, ship it out to the location in a box, send a crew, set it up, and you're done in five days to seven days and you have a brand new location. Why do you think that nobody was doing that before you started doing it? And why, why was it something that was just so apparently obvious to you just to be like, Oh, it doesn't mean that I quit. It just means that I invent this new way of doing it.
0: <laughs> well, there's a lot thank you for that, by the way. It was a really good rendering of what We Build is. <laughs> for those who didn't listen, we're gonna dub that over and over again. <laughs> but it's a handful of things. And this goes back to that luck comment, which is most people who start restaurants, let's use restaurants, are chefs. Hmm. So when I started Everbowl, and I want to go back to answer your question because I think it's important to get there, you know, my dad and mom both told me not to. My wife jokingly told me not to. Like 9 out of 10 restaurants fail. Yeah. Why do 9 out of 10 restaurants fail? Because they're started by chefs. Mm. What does that mean? It means they're not entrepreneurs in business. They're a chef. Yeah. They're that business owner we talked about at the beginning. Sure. So their problem. They're the plumber. Yeah. They're, they're, they're phenomenal at yeah. cooking. They're better chefs. They make more better food than we do. Yeah. That's great. But that's not an entrepreneur. That's not going to create or solve that problem. Mm-hmm. They need to open a restaurant and be their chef. Mm-hmm. So they have to find a company to do it. Of the entrepreneurs who start concepts, whether it's a retail footprint or a restaurant, a lot of them don't have the means, right? Mm. Because while, yes, anyone can go start a construction company, I spent a lot of money R&Ding and learning and overpaying to build to get to where we are today. Mm. So I could have opened four more restaurants or build the we build. I invested in the we build side ahead of – it's kind of like what Elon Musk did by building charging stations before the cars were there, mm. knowing that I'm going to build the cars, but without charging stations, no one's going to buy the cars. Sure. So I had But the, he knew he
1: had enough capital to be able to correct. outpace that.
0: And that I had enough capital sake. personally yeah. to make those investments before I brought in investors and before I was able to fund an opening five, six, seven restaurants. And if my first restaurant ended up failing, that construction company wasn't doing anything.
1: So you only had one Everbowl location before you built.
0: So my very first one was built by one of my good friend's sons who was working at the time. He was one of the main construction guys on the job. He helped design it, and then he helped do a lot of the work. We brought in other people. Yeah, I went to him and said, "Do you want to come work for me and build out my construction company?" So the same guy who built one, Jake, built all of them up until recently. Gotcha. As part of the head of we built. So I went to the individual who built it and elevated him to the head of a company. Yeah. And brought him into the, and then we started R and Ding it, and we had no idea what we were doing. So, it, and I don't know anything about construction. Yeah, like I don't build anything. Full disclosure, I don't even know how to do Legos. Like, There's a rule like holidays and birthdays, nothing comes pre... If it's not pre-assembled, we don't buy it or my you don't wife... does. shop at Ikea. I yeah. don't shop at Ikea. And my wife is literally putting together my kids' stuff. I don't do it. But to the whole point of sales and marketing and stuff, I don't need to know how to do it. I just had the resources. So why was I lucky? I was lucky because I was in a position to recognize a problem. I'm not a chef. I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm good at startups. I'm comfortable in the unknown. I'm good at sales, so I knew that I could sell this to investors later and to my, et cetera. I could recruit the people, and I was going to build enough restaurants where I was never thinking about using it as a as an outward-facing company. I was doing it for myself. Sure. So my plan was to invest in building this so restaurants 20 through 50 were going to be cheap enough where by restaurant 30, I could recoup my investment. I'm going to lose money on the first 20 and pay more than I would have had to. Yeah. And a lot of people just aren't in that position. Yeah. So- Yes, that's the to luck. I was lucky enough to be in the position, but I also was in the position to notice the opportunity, and I was lucky enough to, to recognize it. So I made those capital investments early. Yeah. And as a team, we put the right mind share together, and the team of smarter people than me figured out how to do it. Got it. I just set the goal of saying this is what we need to accomplish. Yeah.
1: So you were just like, we need to be a, we need we need to figure out how to take this from eight weeks to. Seven days. Or did you even have a time for a I mean, thing?
0: I never had seven days. Yeah. That was just a dream. It's but it was three time. months. It took three months. I mean, we started building in July. I signed the lease in July. I opened in October. Yeah. Now- just like,
1: We just need to shrink this.
0: Shrink process. it, get it faster. It's I mean, fast we're building the same again. thing over and over and over and over again. And one thing that I do with all my companies, and I reckon, I recommend every entrepreneur and business leader do, is learn from public companies. Hmm. See, there's a, there's a secret. And the secret is public companies are public which means they have to disclose everything. So during COVID, when restaurateurs don't know what to do, go listen to Domino's quarterly report, Mm. the quarterly conference call where the CEO, the CMO, the CFO speak for an hour and a half to the shareholders and tell them what we're dealing with, what we're working on, and where we're going. They have to. It's the law. Thank you, SEC. So you can learn from me as a restaurateur. I can learn from McDonald's and Carl's Jr. and Domino's and Pizza Hut and all these public brands, I can learn from them and see what are they doing right now. Now, I can't necessarily apply it Apples for Apples, but McDonald's is the largest toy manufacturer in the world. Let that sink in. The largest. They've never sold a single toy. Wow. They make more toys than any toy company in the world for the Happy Meal. That's it. They have the largest chicken farms in the world for the chicken nuggets. And they're a hamburger place. So they vertically integrated things to reduce costs for them to be able to offer something. Mm. So I started to say, well, how they own, they're the second largest or the largest landowner in the world, either behind the church or they're ahead of the church. But they're one or two in the most real estate owned because they own the land under every McDonald's. I can't do all that. I don't have those kind of resources. But what can I do? Well, I'm going to build them. Mm. I can give my TI allowance back to myself. Mm. And then I started to learn that I can negotiate a TI allowance from my landlord and use that money to fund myself to build them. Mm. Right? It's my company, so I'm going to take the money. Sure. And pay, build it. Pay you. Pay me. Yeah. And amortize it. You the, the tenant still pays for it. Yeah. You just amortize it over five years. So it's a loan built into my my lease. Your lease yeah. So I started to do that. And then eventually we became something. And as a result of us becoming great at it and building phenomenal processes and SOPs and learnings and 60 restaurants later and you know, regulations and all this stuff, we now have an awesome product to sell third parties. Yeah. So I'm able to talk to Shaquille O'Neal and say, Hey, let us build big chicken. Mm-hmm. I'm able to talk to Drew Brees and say, hey, let us build stretch zone. Mm-hmm. I'm able to talk to to you and say, hey, let's build a podcast studio somewhere. Right. Right. Whatever you need built, we build can do it. And what's my track record? I built and scaled 60 Everbulls. So our model, our true customer is anyone who's scaling a concept, the same
1: concept, more than once. So I want you to tell a story of how you closed down shaq and shaq's big chick because it's a really cool story and it speaks to everything that we've been talking about on this entire interview which is relationship relationships are at the top and everything else is secondary to them mm-hmm. even and especially when it comes to selling so so yeah tell the story because i know he, it started as like hey shaq is going to potentially buy some ever that didn't work out you have a different direction then you know yep. the we built thing came across so, so tell that story. Yeah, yeah our goal was
0: to have shaq be part of ever shaq's part of a ton of brands I was speaking at an event and Everbull was there and he was speaking at the event and someone on stage asked him about Everble and he's like, oh, I really like Everbull." So I connected with him after we fed him some Everbull; He liked it. He connected me to his manager. He connected me to his team. He connected me to Auth- Authentic Brands, which is a partner with him, one of his part- major partners. And I started to go through the, you know, the litany of people you have to go through with someone as, no, you know, as big as Shaq. Sure. During the process, it wasn't a good fit. And it really wasn't a good fit because he has his own brand called Big Chicken, which he was just launching as his own franchise concept. And they really wanted to put the full force of Shaq behind that. It made total sense. Mm-hmm. And I understood right. it. And so I said, okay. But I had built a relationship with a lot of people on the team. Mm-hmm. And so, again, going to pivoting, going to, you know, one of my core values, I don't use the word pivot, but it's change ready, is being ready to change when the opportunity is there or is required. I'm not going to not capitalize. On that, so as I was selling him on Everbull, I'm selling the We Build Arm of sure. why it's going to be so much more efficient for him to buy an Everbull. Mm-hmm. But I'm still seeding the whole We Build concept, and he said, Why well, have Big Chicken. Can you help?" Now, at this point, we had never done any other concept but Everbull ever. But my answer, as always, is yes. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, we'll figure it out yeah. because, and you said it best. But if you ask me, what is the definition of an entrepreneur? It's a problem solver. Mm. It's what, it's what it is. And it's why a lot of entrepreneurs fail is they fail to realize the litany of problems that they're going to have to solve mm-hmm. and embrace that and recognize it is a nonstop barrage of problems, mm-hmm. one way or another. So the problem was he had his own concept and I couldn't get him as an Everbull customer. I can get him as a weeble customer. So let's start. So we started down the process, finally made it to the point where they gave us a blueprint and said, okay, you know, can you do this? And I said, look, I can tell you about WeBuild. I can tell you about Everbowl You can go into all the Everbowls and see them. You have. Come to San Diego. Come see my facility. Because I believe once you come in and you see what we're doing and you realize how different it is, you'll be a customer. I said, okay. This was a Wednesday. They were coming the following Tuesday. So we had less than a week. Again, one of them, my other success principles is be remarkable. If you're going to do something, like don't do it average. Don't just cash in the bare minimum. Like Strive for remarkability, right? Shoot for the stars. You miss. You land on the moon. You shoot for the moon and miss. You're back where you started. So... We decided, and one of, the, one of our team members is phenomenal just at, like, technology. He's our COO. His name's Eric, Eric with a K. And he, he, yeah, he's actually sitting here. So shout out to Eric. He used virtual reality and built their whole store in VR. And we basically said, hey, guys, by working with us, we'll build your store in virtual reality so you can actually see it before we even build it and make sure it's exactly what you want. They're like, oh, this is awesome. So we're like, we'll come to San Diego and we'll put you in the virtual reality when you come. Fantastic. Well, he also had the idea of let's build a big chicken store in our office, the actual store. And we only had six days and we had never done this before. So we built a big chicken in our office. We put a big curtain over it so you couldn't see it. We put seven or eight, I can't remember if there was eight of us or seven of us, VR headsets in front of the curtain. It's just a curtain. So you, it's kind of, this is Shaq. Shaq didn't come to this meeting. Okay. This is his man. This is his team. team. This yeah, is the, the whole the big decisions. chicken yeah. executive team, the, the, the decision makers. Sure. And then one of our one of our big investors and partners is Drew Brees, so I had him come too just because I thought that if you're going to work with someone of Shaq's elk, yeah. it's important to also demonstrate, like, we're not here just to, to steal Shaq's Correct. Yeah, sphere yeah. of, of yeah, yeah. notoriety. We're, we're,
1: we're moving somewhere regardless of if Shaq Correct. joins or not. Correct,
0: now. yes. And they knew Drew, and so I thought it was great because I also, fun fact, wanted to sell Drew on his other franchise concepts that were not just an everable opportunity. Sure. So it was a great time to bring them together. So they were all there. We all get in the headset, and we're all walking through the big chicken in the VR, and everyone's like, this is really cool. Because, I mean, VR is cool, right? And sure. it was built to spec. I mean, the counters were exactly the right height. Nice. You were walking through the restaurant. Well, while that was happening, Eric removed the curtain. So when everyone took the headset off and they come back to the real world, they're now staring at a big chicken. Yeah, And they, a few of them put the headset on and off. Like, they didn't know where the hell they were. <laughs> like, this was confusing. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> like it was truly one for the ages. Yeah. And they got to now see that we can build it. They right. could see the quality of our build. Yeah. They could see that we did it as fast as we did in less than a week. right? And so we did enough to earn the opportunity to build one. So we got to build the first one oh, that we built with them was in Vegas and we built it in
1: less than two weeks. And they gave you two weeks. six weeks to do it? Or something. Like, oh, they still didn't, like, my, my oh, we had plenty They still of time. didn't even believe the concept, right? That oh, yeah. You were like, oh, we could do it in a week and a half or two weeks, or whatever. And they're like, okay, we'll give you eight or six or something.
0: So we showed up on a Monday. The site wasn't ready for us. Okay. So it was supposed to be. We left and went to the hotel and basically got them to, we, we basically told their general contractor team, if you guys don't finish it today, we'll do, we'll get it ready. Yeah. They got it ready. Tuesday, we started. Most of our team left on Friday. We had it finished by the following week, Wednesday. And, they were really impressed. I mean, they genuinely said like they believed they they thought they were going to get more of like a Honda Civic, and, and they got a Ferrari. Hmm. They thought the quality was better. The price obviously will get better. The first one's never going to be our best price. Sure, but they recognize now like we built, in our opinion and theirs, one of the highest quality stores that they have. And
1: in, in
0: a percentage of the time, in a percentage of the time, yeah. And so as a result Which is not of that, businessman. But time's money. That's a big that's a big deal. And franchisees, a lot of them only look at the price to build. And I'll tell you, as a guy who owned twenty eight stores on my own, yeah, every day you're not open, you're missing out on revenue. Right. Right. Get open. Get open yesterday. Right. You know, even if it costs the same, get open yesterday. Sure. We're still more cost effective, you know. So that was a really fun experience. And then we got to partner with Shaq and his team and be part of the big chicken experience, which obviously big chicken is a far cry from the Everball yeah. as far as concept. But for We Build and We Build Self Now. We're turning WeBuild into its own powerhouse. And that's a fun, exciting thing for us to really focus on outside of the Everble side. Yeah. So we're talking a whole bunch of new concepts and looking forward to really turning it into a massive company.
1: I'm looking forward to that too, dude. I'm, I'm really excited to see what you guys do with that because I, 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 I've said it to so many people because I'm an investor in Everbull, full disclosure. Thank you. And that was one of the things I was like, man, this WeBuild concept is the thing that sells it more than anything because it's so massively scalable beyond just this one brand's ability to scale yes it does it's not reliant on Everbowl. this can partner with existing franchises new franchises big people small people everybody needs fast and quality construction and it was like oh my gosh this thing is gonna this thing is gonna be massive and it's wild how often solving your own problems can actually become the like the biggest opportunity that there is there's just there's a small company that started as a gaming company and the the ceo the founder wanted wanted to do this like online gaming community software thing and he started doing it It wasn't working they ended up pivoting and whatever the concept was they they sold it and he did okay on that exit and he wanted to get back into the gaming world again He was like this is where i this is where i thrive this is what i love and i I want to do something in gaming so i started another gaming site and with some money this time he had like you know five ten million to play with from his previous exit and he plows almost all of it back into this other gaming thing. It's not working the way they want it to work. But on the back end, to improve communication between him and his whole team while they were building out this whole community, they ended up building this like pretty sweet little communication tool, which is now otherwise known as Slack, <laughs> which is a $40 billion company or something crazy like that. If it's not $40 billion, it's it's a deca-billion-dollar company. Definitely. But it started as just like, hey, we can't communicate the way that we want to communicate internally to build this video game site, which is my second shot at doing this let's make sure that we build something that gives us seamless communications interdepartmentally and that allows us to be able to you know do the things the way that we want to do them mm-hmm. and then that pivot became you know slack <laughs> one of the biggest technology companies in the world and one we all use i mean we use it yeah, here yeah exactly exactly household name mm-hmm. you know like unless you unless you are blue collar worker in <laughs> iowa you may not know slack but like pretty much everybody knows slack and so you know i i think I think WeBuild has, even though Everbull is successful and it does yes. very well and will continue to expand and, you know, and will continue to grow and grow even more now, I, I just like WeBuild is to me is just like, wow, the, the, the sky's the limit on what you guys can do with that. So congrats on that, man. Congrats on all the other success you got going on. Besides all the business stuff, yep. you're now jumping into the podcasting space, a I little have. bit, a little bit of content, putting that out there. Why was that important to you and why now? It
0: took a while for me to get there. You know, I think a lot of my mentors, a lot of my advisors, a lot of people who are investors mm-hmm. were pushing me more and more and more to do it. There's a human element to brands. Mm-hmm. You know, we can talk about everybody, we can talk about we build. I'm really strong in the relationship side. So the bigger my sphere of influence grows, the more opportunity I can bring to my main business. I think I add a lot of value that I can share to the masses and help everyone else achieve it, you know, because I think that there's a formula that I've used, I, I talked to you about it, you know. My, it's a success formula. It's not as archaic as it sounds when I say that, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a model that works well for me, and it's something I say on stages all the time when I speak. Which is, I'm an ordinary guy, and I figured out what extra stuff I need to do to have extraordinary results, and that means that everybody else can do those same things. Mm. I'm not Shaq. I'm not seven one. I'm not Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. Where I'm like Mensa smart. You know, I'm a five foot nine guy who got you know the NFL missed on. But what I do understand is I understand scale and business and entrepreneurship. And there's a huge group of people who are trying to do that. And there's too much information available for them to always know what is the right information. Hmm. So, because I have a track record of being able to start companies in many different sectors, I think I can help them. And if I help them and make a deposit in their lives by helping them achieve success, I'm going to expand my sphere of influence. I'm going to make a, a you know, it's, a, it's called relationship capital and a relationship bank account. And I'm going to make a deposit. I'm going to bring them into my sphere. I'm going to get to know them, make friends with them. And who knows how we can do business together in the future. So it is self-serving. It is a selfish motive to grow my own companies and grow my sphere of influence, but it's also to help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I'm at the point in life where I do have my financial needs taken care of in that sense. So what am I doing and what is my legacy and how am I going to fill my cup? Yeah. And my I have the most fun today when I speak at and School of Entrepreneurship and mentoring college kids yeah. that are trying to become entrepreneurs and watching them go from where they are now to an idea and watching that idea thrive. I have so much more fun making key introductions and getting that phone call or text saying, thank you. That was so valuable for me. It changed my business yeah. or my life. That's rewarding at a level that I get on a one-to-one basis. So for all those reasons, I'm trying to build my personal brand a little bit more. I've obviously watched a lot of friends be extremely successful at building their personal brand and how that creates abundance of opportunity. And yeah. to your point, luck is when you put more rods and you know, you put more fishing lines into the water, you're more likely to catch a fish. Yeah. In business, it's the same. So the more friends I can make through helping others and building that sphere and sharing my knowledge and expertise that I've learned from mentors and advisors who've helped me along the way, the better. And if it can help everyone and we build at the same time. You know, I owe it to my shareholders. I owe it to you as an investor, you know, to be out there and building that that knowledge, speaking on podcasts like this, yeah, sharing right, the Everbull right. story, sharing the WeBuild story. Yeah, yeah. You know, no one gets to know about it if I don't put it out there. Yeah. And I'm the face of the company. And so I kind of have to get a little bit more brazen, a little bit more on the forefront and do it. And well, fun fact, you're helping me. So Yes,
1: Yes, which I'm pumped for as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was going to say I'm I'm excited I'm excited for you in a multitude of capacities, man. You've earned it, you deserve it. met your Met your lovely wife the other day. You guys seem, you know, you can always tell a lot by somebody by meeting the people in their life that are closest to them, and it says a lot about you. Is that I've I've met a lot of people that are close to you, and everybody that I've met has a lot of good things to say. So I'm excited for the growth of Everbowl, we build all the other stuff that you have ha- have your hands in, the studio stuff that we're going to do together, hopefully, and then also your show. So if you are watching this episode, if you're tuning in right now, then whatever you are listening to this episode on, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple or Spotify, whatever it is, go look for The Jeff Fenster Show. It should be live by the time this episode comes out, The Jeff Fenster Show. Type that in. Give them a quick subscribe and a rating, review. Check out a few episodes. The first dozen people he's bringing on the show are better than like most people's most recent dozen, even if they've done 300 episodes. So I, I'm excited to that that Jeff chose our team to work with to get this out into the world. And I'm really excited for the content he's going to be releasing out there. So please go check that out. The Jeff Fenster show and then follow Jeff on all socials at Fenster Jeff. And and yeah, check check out some of the stuff that he's releasing over there. Tell me you heard about him here on the show. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on, dude. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having me, man. Right, we're finally able to make it happen. Absolutely. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischappell.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischappell.com slash team.